quiet. It's starting. The Alcala Tribe Podcast presents Black Engine, Ballad Number One, A Labor Alliance, an all-cast audio epic starring MF Rex, Timberline, Amy Davis, and Melissa K. Muggs as King Mel. And Scarlett Johansson as Big Motherfucker. Oh yeah, free Leonard Pelletier already? What's happening, y'all? This is the All Color Tribe Podcast, and I am BW Sun. Now, I got to say thank you for joining us on this here, our first episode. It's appreciated. Mighty appreciated indeed. Happy to announce that for the lot of you, you'll be thoroughly entertained as this is high class, high caliber, quality content that some mighty fine folk congregated and created just for you. So, these next five weeks, you can look forward every Tuesday and Thursday to me sitting down to share a bit of the great American tale, Black Engine, ballad number one, A Labor Alliance, a reimagining of Greek mythos, the first labor of Heracles set to a dystopian future in the ruins and remains of the United States. In what once upon a time was Arizona, girls have gone missing and it's up to two hopeful heroes, Black Engine and Big Motherfucker, alongside an animus adolescent Aya, to take to trail and rescue said filched females. With that said, be cautioned. While our theme song is most definitely adorable, we don't discriminate when it comes to words. So, expect language that's as colorful as our characters. And, now, so not to ruin things by gnawing on the stock so long that the ears fall off, let's get to the dope shit, shall we? Color Tribe presents an abridged version of Black Engine, Ballad Number One, A Labor of Lions, by B.W. Sun, dedicated to Paula White, Daryl Barr, Richard Gingrich, and Terrence Washington. Made for the rebels, outlaws, and fringe folk of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Prologue, Orphaned in El Paso. Gunshots, gunshots, gunshots. Screams, curses, crying and death, more gunshots. The sounds vibrate through Aya Garcia's room like a box speaker. 13, skinny, confused, and terrified. She breathes fast and her knuckles have gone white with bed sheets clinched between palm and nail. She knows death is certain and she wants to move and meet it head on, violently. But she doesn't, she's frozen, just waiting for it to come. The door bursts open. It's Aya's mother in the door and pulling her daughter from bed. Mother and daughter are out the door into the hallway where the rest of the family are waiting for them. Aya's father and her two brothers, Marco and Roberto. Like her father, Marco is wielding a firearm. Roberto, only two, hangs on to his favorite bunny doll while pressing hard to his ears, trying to block out the noise. Aya's father waves them on. Teresa! The blasts of gunfire can be felt in the floorboards underneath. Roberto is scooped up by his mother, dropping the bunny doll in the process. His big sister snatches it up, holding onto it for him. Looking down the hallway towards the front of the house, Aya watches one of her father's men retreating up the stairs, his gun spinning off rounds in a fury. It's not enough. He's overcome by what follows him. Other men, all with guns of their own, blasting and booming, intent on killing Aya and her family. Her father jerks her with a grab of the arm. Yeehaw! Leave it, Ultrasano! He and Marco fire at the oncoming invaders. 
Bullets blaze. Aya's family retreats towards the back of the house, but it's Marco's last stand. He doesn't see his way out of the hallway. The back stairwell leads down to the kitchen. There's a door to the backyard there. Aya's mother is the first in line with Roberto tightly clutched, while daughter follows with her father behind. On the way down, he's able to take out two of their pursuers, if only there were two. Down the stairs and out the door onto the backyard, the family runs, finding the battle there too. Her bare feet stick to the grass, wet with the night air, and she's glued to place while several shots bury themselves in her father's back. He turns to face his assassins, lifting his rifle and letting it shout. The gun begins to click, the clip empty, and his is a warrior's death. Aya's father's body is barraged with bullets, and it's the shot through the side of the skull that puts a cold silence through him and lays him down for his final slumber. Her brain yanks her eyes from her father's body to her mother and Roberto, still alive and trying to stay so. The gunshots don't cease. Aya grabs her father's gun and continues to run for safety behind her mom. Making it to the woods out behind the house, they vanish in the twilight, trying to lose themselves under Arizona ash. Eventually, the pace slows. Aya turns, hearing her mother stumble, watching her take a spill, gripping tight to Roberto so he doesn't hit the ground. Her mother has tears running rivers down her cheeks. To the woods! Aya sees the blood gleam black and shiny under the glow of moonlight. It wasn't only her mother that was shot, the bullet went through Roberto as well. He's already gone and her mother is on the way. Soon she'll have no family at all. You have to run, Aya! Go now! Aya stands a gun in one hand and a bunny doll in the other. Between the two, a body filled with every nasty, horrid, terrible feeling there is. Orange torchlight begins to dot the distance from which they came. Are you using water right now? Remember, if we don't use it all now, we won't get as much next year. And if we don't get it, that means someone else will. Is that what you want? Someone else to have our water? I didn't think so. Remember, every drop counts because if we can't have it, no one will. This has been a message from the human race. Chapter 1, Dead Men and Vultures The sun sits high in the hot haze of afternoon sky. Up there with it, buzzards circle in patience, waiting for a meal to stroll along. Below on the ground level of things, two men are making their way down an ancient crumbling highway in what was once called Arizona. Both badly wounded, they struggle with each step to sweat and bleed their way down the old concrete road. One is ambiguously beige under the plasma and perspiration. He's also about the biggest man you will ever see on this earth in every direction. Black locks hang under his bucket hat while sawed-off shotgun drapes his shoulder and a mallet that looks novelty in relation to his size sits in hand. The other is a skinny, wide-nosed red bone with tightly coiled curls reaching up for the sky. On one hip, there's a huge pistol. The other dangles a tomahawk. His steps are shallow, but in time, it's just boots scraping across the asphalt. Bro, this shit here, this shit is the worst. The smaller man stops, his hands atop his head and breathing deep with ache. 
on some real shit, though. Since we finna die, I want you to know I got love for you, man. You been my ride and die to the end. Not a lot of motherfuckers are about that. Real shit. The skinny man falls. No more energy, no more fight. He hits the ground hard. His larger companion takes a seat, figuring if you can't outlive them, might as well die alongside them. Lying back, the two men watch the buzzards rain in the rounds, circling a smaller circumference, until you might say they were revolving right above them. like nobody's listening to you and you've got all the good ideas you've got the answers it's time the world know how incredibly important and intelligent you are it's time you gained an audience join me 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 today and amass your own following to hang on your every word gain enough followers and that means profit you'll be making big bucks just for being you which honestly isn't that how it should be why work when there's others who could be working for you. You're absolutely right. You need to step in front of the world and let everyone know it's all about me, me, me. Me, me, me is underwritten by the human race and is not responsible for the happiness or contentness of its users. Chapter two, The Rare Samaritan. The front half of a VW Bug rolls backwards on thick wooden wheels. Supplies and gear stack up from the trunk into the sky without the car's hood to restrict its carrying capacity. Ahead, two mules pull the makeshift buggy down the road, the double yellow their guide. All is going good and well until the mules confront their bodies of the two men laying out in the middle of the road. Wheels creak to a stall and hooves stop clomping. The buggy sits still on the high desert road. In the buggy, with car seats removed, sleeps and snores a transformed Aya, now dusty and dirty from days on the road, aged with a bit of grit and grief. Scavenged rags replace the sleepwear from the night of her family's massacre. Her father's rifle rests across her lap in wait, and Roberta's bunny doll plays co-pilot next to her. The sudden stoppage of movement riles Aya from her midday slumber. Eyes flicker and calibrate to the bright hot of the noonday sun. Her fingers ready themselves around the rifle while she surveys her current whereabouts with a panoramic glance. Nothing. Ugh, stupidos culos. The mules ignore her and stand even stiller. Aya steps out of the buggy, vigilant, with a gun poised to shoot. She steps slow away from the buggy, looking every which way until her eyes trip over the bodies, perplexing the mules' pathway. Several steps forward for a closer investigation. From all she can see, these two men are dead. With the barrel of her rifle, she pokes at the much bigger of the two without reaction. He's got a gun, but it's wedged between him and the ground like Excalibur, and she's not the one. The smaller man, on the other hand, is easy pickings, with a fine pistol holstered on his side. Crouching down, reaching for the pistol, a ghastly hand grasps her forearm. Startled, she'd be on her butt if the hand weren't holding her. Help! Please? Wrenching her arm free, Aya leaps back to a safe distance out of reach. She stares at the man. He still looks very much dead, but his arm has reanimated and reaches into a pocket, pulling out a gold compass. He raises it into the air as an offering, or better yet, a plea. Please, water. 
September 1787, Abigail Adams asked her husband not to forget the women when drafting the Constitution of the United States. It would seem that his story would repeat itself, as our lesser half mansplains to us our best interests. Ladies, it's our time, and we need to fight for our future on all fronts. And in doing so, it's never been more difficult and exhausting to be a woman. Not ever. That's why you need something to revitalize and rejuvenate while fighting the right fight. And that something is Nana's Own, an organic, gluten-free energy alternative packed with probiotics and antioxidants to keep both X chromosomes at 100%. Made with natural ingredients like parsley, pennyroyal, black collage, and Queen Anne's Lace, Nana's Own will put a pep in your step to stomp out inequality. Nanazone is an underling affiliate of the human race and not approved by the FDA. Chapter 3, Fellowship of the Road The moon is rising, but the sun hasn't completely quit for the day. The stars still waiting their time to shine, the temperature pairs down with evening breeze, and a fire begins to crackle on the little wood Aya was able to forge from the inhospitable sidelines of the road. A large blade sits in the flames beginning to glow by Aya's eyes, her newly acquainted compass. Even with the sun not fully down, the firelight still dances over its gold sheen. The skinny man peers over at the young girl with the light in her eyes. He's pretty certain she'll never figure out it's fake, doesn't even point the right way. He, himself, has recovered considerably with a little water, though he still has a few bullet holes to worry about. He and his big friends are less dressed, wounds exposed to the open air, revealing that they're all benign, save infection. What your name is, girl? Aya pockets the compass, but she's reluctant to answer the man's questions. She simply stares at him with placid mistrust. Do I have to give you something else to talk with you? Come on, what your name is? It's Aya. Well, thank you, Aya. You are a motherfucking lifesaver. Why are you shot up? You bandits or something? A disagreement of ownership turned into a dispute of ownership. Ownership of what? Us. So one more time, thanks for the help, Aya. You're gonna need more than water and beans. You should be dead by nightfall tomorrow instead of today. You'd be surprised how easy it is to change death's plan. Sometimes you just need a second, so a full day is more than enough. Where are you headed? Melville. All by yourself? Little young, ain't you? She goes quiet and uncomfortable, but the big man takes the attention away from her with a raised hand and wiggling of fingers. The skinny man slaps at his friend's chest with excitement, receiving a strained wheeze for reply. I was beginning to think you was dunzo for sure, big motherfucker. The big man signals for water. He's obliged, but only able to sip a small amount. Most of it runs down his chin and chest. He grimaces and returns to looking dead. Well, Aya, you, me, and this morose motherfucker here all headed to the same place. Who are you? Me? Well, I'm just the one and only man, myth, and goddamn living legend, Black Engine. I've never heard of you. Well, you have now. Who's he? Him? Oh, he's big motherfucker. His mom named him that? Hope not, but fuck if I know. He ain't never felt the need to tell me. Black Engine nudges big motherfucker who exhales a grumbling groan, wanting to be left alone. Sure. Big Motherfucker shakes his head in protest. It's possibly his least favorite thing to do. Come on, shower! Opening his mouth, Aya can see that Big Motherfucker has no tongue. She can't help but shudder at the scarred stub sitting far back behind teeth and empty mouth. 
one of the great mysteries of our time. Sides' real name is why, not so much on how. Biggins got his tongue cut out that pretty mouth of his. But if you ask me, he ate somebody's pussy all wrong. Big motherfucker glares at his companion with disapproval while A's face twists with distaste. Taking notice of everyone's reaction, Black Injun realizes he's taken a step into the taboo. My bad. I ain't around children too often. I'm not a child. You right, my bad. Why you headed to Melville, old hag? Looking for work. Work? What the fuck do you do for work? He follows as Aya's gaze slides from himself to her rifle. Oh, you a hired hand, huh? Black Engine gives Big Motherfucker another nudge and gets another grumbled groan of leave me be. Hey, that biggins, we got a gunslinger in our midst. I'm gonna be one. Okay, you finna be one. Old hag the killer. <laughs> it got a ring to it. Where you from, Aya? El Paso. That's MS Empire. Black Engine takes another look at the girl, up and down. Fair enough. Well, what you say? You mind if me and Biggins here accompany you the rest of the way to Melville? Before she can answer, he tosses a small sack to her feet. A look inside, and there's a handful of silver coins, four gold teeth, and several cool marbles. If this is a trick, or you're just trying to rob me, I'll shoot you. Wouldn't be the first. Look at us here. Fuck we finna do. Trust me. We're on the level. You ain't got nothing to worry about with us. Why are you going to Melville? Family visit. My sister lives out there. Surely she have an extra bed for you if you need. The blade sitting in the fire glows red hot and ready. Black Engine gives Big Motherfucker a stick to bite on before taking hold of the hot knife. The thing to remember here is don't hit the helper. Feel me? Remember, don't hit the helper. Skin sizzles and chars under searing steel, and the enigmatic epidermis of Biggins melts close. Black Engine is caught completely off guard when the big club of a fist swings and sets him on his rear. Motherfucker! Don't hit the helper! I said the shit! Aya can't help but grin at the sight of Black Engine rubbing his jaw. He's loud and arrogant, and it's nice to have him quiet, if only for a minute. Hey, you know, this would go a hell of a lot easier with something to sip on. Got anything like that? Water. Load of fucking fun you finna be. I can already tell. Black Engine inserts the blade back into the flame to reheat. The stench of burning blood and melted flesh stings and smokes the nostrils. Don't fucking hit me this next time. Real shit. Else old hag here is gonna shoot you. Folks, the first four chapters of the Great American Tale, Black Engine, Ballad Number One, A Labor Alliance. Hope you're enjoying yourself thus far, and tune in next time to hear how Black Engine begins an A affair as they make their way to Melville. I can tell you this, there will be a gunfight when past Periots poke up playing opposition, and Black Engine pretty much has a cock measuring contest with a civil servant only to be inched out by a lady. Now. If you're not much of the mind for waiting week to week, 
Hearkening how events unfold, I recommend heading on over to allcolortribe.com and grabbing the unabridged version of Black Engine Ballad Number 1, A Labor Alliance, containing 20 minutes of storyline missing from our podcast version, along with Chapter 1 of Black Engine Ballad Number 2, A Dead President's Initiative. Your $6 support paves the way for all All Color Tribe's future endeavors. But for our fellow folk out there who don't have six like that or just don't like us that much, well, the podcast is present. Thanks for lending a listen our way and participating as audience for The Great American Tale, Black Engine, Ballad Number 1, A Labor Alliance. I hope to have you listening next time.